Hey everyone, welcome to the Balanced Dietitian Podcast. I am your host, Marie-Pierre, and for all my English friends out there, you can call me Marie. I am a registered dietitian with a background in psychology. My passion in life is to help individuals heal their relationship with food and their bodies. If you're tired of dieting and tired of restriction, you are at the right place. I'm hoping that this podcast will help and support you as you heal your own relationship with food and your body and give you the tools, the resources, and the knowledge that you need to finally ditch the diets. Every week, you will be hearing from guest experts and myself on all things food, body, and mind. I am so happy that you're here and I cannot wait to support you on your journey. Let's get started. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to the Balanced Dietitian Podcast. How are you doing, my friend? I hope that you are doing well. First and foremost, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I am so grateful for you tuning in every week. And if you're new to the podcast, welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm so happy that you are here. I think the podcast is probably one of my favorite things that I do um, because I get to connect with so many wonderful people around all things relationship with food and our body. So I hope that you've been getting a ton of value from the podcast. I hope that it's been something that has been helpful for you. I've been getting a lot more reviews recently on the podcast, which has been so amazing to read. And I'd love to ask you if you can to take 30 seconds, uh, actually probably more like 60 seconds if I'm being truthful, to go on your Apple podcast and leave me a review. If you're able to leave me a rating and let me know what you love most about the podcast. This would mean so much to me. It helps us increase our reach. And what I've decided to do is that at the end of the week, we're going to do a draw. So for everyone who reviews the podcast and then send me a screen share on Instagram, I will draw your next coffee will be on me. So I hope that again, you're loving this podcast. And if you are, please tell me. So I'm super excited about this week's episode. We're talking to Samina, who is going to come talk to us about IBS body image outside of diet culture. We've had a few talks here about IBS, about gut health, and we know that the correlation between disordered eating and IBS is really, really high. It's kind of like a chicken and a, chicken and egg kind of situation where is it the having IBS and all the restrictions that are told to do that leads to an eating disorder, or is it having an eating disorder and all the complications of it that lead to IBS? So we will unpack that today. We're going to talk about IBS and we're going to talk about things that we can do for our digestion outside of diet culture. Like how can we actually take care of our digestion and our health outside of diet culture that does not involve restriction and elimination or any of that. So I'm super excited to have Samina on the podcast. It's so cool to meet someone who is an expert in gut health from an anti-diet perspective, right? That she's not there to tell you to take a quiz or to do like a sensitivity test, which we will also debunk during this episode. Um, we're really talking about the science behind it and how to just take care of ourselves in a different way. So I hope that you're gonna love this episode as much as I did. Welcome back to the Balanced Dietitian Podcast. 
Today we have Samina who's here with us and we're going to talk about IBS, diet culture, and all of the things. And I'm so excited to have you on this episode. So welcome, Samina. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So excited. We have like juicy things to talk about today, but before we get into it, do you want to tell a little bit more about who you are, your origin story, and how you got to become the IBS expert? Right. So, you know, I graduated from my dietetic internship fresh out of college and I went straight into corporate wellness where I was doing a lot of, you know, working for an insurance company where we were making sure that people were engaging in health promoting behaviors. So I think right off the bat, I was in this, like, let's not come for health in a way that has anything to do with restriction. Right. And I was noticing that a lot of people were struggling with, you know, the ideas that they were getting about health from the media and everything around them. And it was really just like inhibiting themselves from making any progress with like taking action to feel better. Right. It was really, really kind of like the barrier and, um, I continued working there and I developed, you know, a intuitive eating approach to create a wellness program that was not focused on weight centered kind of, um, behaviors and more on how do you promote your health with, um, taking care of yourself in a gentle way. And so it was really funny. I was in Chicago and kind of isolated from my family and friends. And so I went to a bookstore and it was a used bookstore and I found the book intuitive eating. Um, and guess how much it was selling for. It's kind of funny. How much? It was like 95 cents. Oh yeah. So, you know, it was the very first copy from, you know, the nineties. So totally get it, but it kind of changed my whole world, right? When you get out of your internship and and school, you are taught from a very weight-centric standpoint and shifting that paradigm to more of that intuitive eating framework and helping people really get back in tune with their body and develop healthier habits um, without restriction is what just spoke to me. And I was like, this is exactly what I want to let the thousands of people I work with in corporate wellness know about. But I started to get a lot of pushback from the higher ups and where I was working. And so I decided to open up my own practice. Um, I started my practice. It was just based on, you know, intuitive eating and helping people heal their relationship with food. I was so excited to finally, you know, get to work with people and connect with them in a way that didn't have anything to do with rigid diets stress, guilt, or shame. I was like, okay, bye-bye. We don't need to deal with that. So, you know, I built it part-time. I was still working in corporate wellness and then um, decided to go full-time. And I think I get very blurry about this, but maybe like 2019. So before the pandemic and um, continuing to see people virtually. And I started to see a lot of people who were coming to me because they were so stressed and anxious about eating, right? And what we know about stress and anxiety is that it directly impacts our digestive health Mm -hmm. and how our symptoms show up. Mm 
And so I was getting a lot of people with naturally with IBS who wanted to heal their relationship with food. And so I started to see a very high need for this support. You know, when you get diagnosed with IBS, in my experience with all of my clients, it's been like, oh, okay, you don't have celiac disease. You don't have irritable bowel disease, like ulcerative colitis or Crohn's disease. And you're, you know, you don't have a family history of colon cancer. And so, yeah, your symptoms, you probably have IBS. And then they hand you a sheet of, you know, low FODMAP foods. And you're like, oh my goodness, like I can no longer eat anything that I enjoy. And this list is actually stressing me out even more. And so then they'd be like coming to me with this list of food and saying like, I can only eat X, Y, and Z. And now my symptoms are even worse. Mm -hmm. Right. So I, my passion is really helping people get back in tune with their body, you know, Mm -hmm. learning to honor their hunger and not ignore or be scared of it enjoy foods again while managing their uncomfortable gut symptoms. Yes. Yeah. I love all of that. Like, I'm just like nodding my head. I'm like, yes, yes, <laughs> yes. This is so good. And there's so many like, yeah, parallels, like you're in the States versus here in Canada and same thing with the, the treatment of IBS. And we talked a little bit about that before pressing record of like, people will be given those like low FODMAP, like foods and not even told like, this is also temporary. Like I've had clients yes. who, have been on low FODMAP for two years and they're like, ah, and I'm like, oh no, like it wasn't supposed to be this way, you know, Absolutely. but there's the lack of support that's there. And, um, but thank you so much for sharing your story. And it sounds like it's pretty cool that since like you graduated that, like you were never placed in a super weight centric environment where you were able to focus on like the health behaviors, which is super, super cool. Um, and then there's something you said that I want to like talk about before we move into the subject today, because I find that super interesting. And I think it's going to be really cool for the audience to listen to this. So when you said that um, there's barriers for people to engage in health activities and a lot of that or health behaviors, and a lot of that has to do with like maybe the thoughts, the beliefs that they have around food and body and all those things. Can you tell us like, what is that barrier? Like if someone comes and has all of these preconception notions of what food should look like or body should look like, like how does that become a barrier to actually engage in health behaviors? Right. So I would call all of those barriers diet culture. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, It is the belief that you need to look and be a certain way um, to be healthy. And when you have so much stress about, I need to look a certain way or have all of these like rigid thoughts around health, it really doesn't help you drink more water, have regular meals and snacks, um, add some variety into your diet. It really just puts your mindset on like, I can't, I can't, I can't. Mm. And then you're stuck. Yes. And that's, that's just really unfortunate, right? That like, despite the wellness industry's idea of getting people to be healthy, it actually just makes them feel very poorly about themselves. Yes. And it keeps them stuck in that mindset. Yes. I love that. And I love that we like talk about from like the bad because a hundred percent, like sometimes I think when we talk about like being in health, which actually doesn't promote health, it's like a weird disconnect, right? Cause like a lot of people who are doing all these things, it's, it is on this quest to be healthy and thin because we think that thin is also health. And, mm-hmm. but when we're like, actually it's not helping us have like long-term sustainable health behaviors, then it starts to like click of like, okay, like how can I actually take care of myself and like starting to walk away from that paradigm, which is 
super cool. Mm -hmm. um, awesome, awesome, awesome. So let's talk a little bit about IBS. So you've talked a little bit about how clients, when they are diagnosed with IBS, it's basically like a lack of any other medical condition. And they're like, ugh, don't know, like probably IBS. It's kind of like this diagnosis out of it's nothing else, therefore is this. Mm -hmm. Can we talk a little bit about how do you see like this diet culture impacting IBS? Absolutely. So, I mean, there's so many ways. I feel like my brain is just cycling around with so many things to say, but okay. Um, when it comes to how diet culture impacts people with IBS, it is the thought that if I just eat clean, if I go vegan, if I cut out all of these types of foods, I will no longer exhibit bloating, gas, diarrhea, constipation, stomach pain. Um, and what I've noticed is that most of my clients come to me, come to me after trying everything they can in the diet realm, you know, Oh, drink coconut water. Oh, eliminate X, Y, Z food, you know, um, do a lot of different things. And, and, uh, what they find is that they're left with very limited options to eat. Their bodies are very undernourished and they're still struggling with their symptoms. And so, yeah, diet culture absolutely impacts like how you care for your body with IBS. Um, this idea that you can just eliminate foods and feel better is very promising. However, it does not really result in, um, you know, the results you're looking for. Yeah. Yeah. And then, like you said at the, the beginning, like all the stress that it has, like diet culture impacts our relationship with food, the anxiety, the stress that we have. And we know that stress and anxiety will exacerbate, exacerbate. <laughs> yeah. symptoms. I'm like, oh my God, words will make those symptoms higher or more likely yeah. to happen too. Absolutely. So when we talk about stress and anxiety, um, just like Marie said, right? stress and anxiety directly impacts your digestive symptoms. For people with IBS, that connection, that gut-brain barrier is even more, or gut-brain connection is even more hypersensitive to stressful situations. And so stress in itself can actually cause like diarrhea and gas and bloating and uncomfortable gut symptoms and pain. Hmm. And it's, oh, it's so, so interesting. Sometimes I wonder, um, and I, it's probably some of both. Like when I think of like the connection between IBS and food relationship, like I feel like they auto <laughs> like um, influence one another, right? Because like if you have IBS and you live in diet culture and you try all these rules and we feel stressed and then there's also discomfort that can also create body discomfort and like all of the things. And then our relationship to food can become very poor, especially when we're giving like very general guidelines, like, Hey, go do low FODMAP on your own, like fear foods and all these things can happen. Mm -hmm. But then I also see it the other way around, right? When we have all of this restriction and we've been dieting, like that can also impact our gut health. So it's like, super yes. interesting the relationship between IBS and food relationship and how it's I think it's like a bi-directional relationship absolutely absolutely and what I've seen is that so let's talk about the low FODMAP diet if you are okay yeah. with that 
it is a short-term elimination diet that is meant to be followed for you know, maximum one to three months to determine your specific triggers and help you expand your diet ultimately while finding symptom relief, right? So it is not a diet that is meant to be followed for long-term and it actually should never be done in my opinion without professional guidance because it can very quickly turn into you not meeting your nutritional needs and that impacting your mental and physical health. Yes. Yeah. And like, I, um, I've shared this on the podcast before, like I, I have IBS and I had to do the low FODMAP for six to eight weeks. I don't, re- I don't remember. Okay. And even having the knowledge and even understanding nutrition. And I had my degree back then. I was like, this is fucking hard. <laughs> you hard. know, like it's complicated as fuck. Like, ugh. <laughs> yeah. And so let's talk about that. Right. Like it's a very complicated very like tedious, very specific diet with a lot of restriction. And so there are a lot of contraindications, which means, you know, when the low FODMAP diet is not appropriate for someone, even if they have IBS. Mm. Right. And so people who struggle with mental health conditions, including eating disorders or OCD and anxiety may not be appropriate because again, this diet can add to those struggles. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So how would you support someone or how would you approach working with someone who has IBS given the different restrictions that may have to occur? Yeah, absolutely. So in my 12 week IBS food freedom program, I help people learn how to find balance with food without restriction, rigid diets, um, stress, guilt, or shame. Ultimately, we're there to find balance again and expand your diet. And so the first approach I take is actually not even jumping into the low FODMAP diet. We talk about, you know, how are you caring for your body? The first thing we will talk about is ditching diet culture. How can we set your baseline of caring for your body with consistent and adequate nutrition and without a lot of like judgment and rigid food rules. Mm -hmm. Um, We can't like jump to the next step until we have a very secure and safe environment to approach your gut health. Mm. Ooh, I love that so much. Like if we can like let that sinking a moment, like needing to feel safe with that because it's hard. Like if we are doing any type of intervention with food, like if we still have all of these thoughts that are always there, like how difficult it is. Yeah, absolutely. So then once, you know, we have talked about what diet culture is, how to ditch it and how to move forward, we then talk about like baseline gut health. What does that mean to you? What, how are you looking to improve your digestive symptoms? Um, for someone who has IBS diarrhea, that's going to look different than someone who has IBS constipation, right? Um, and so really making sure that they know that our microbiome, our gut, um, really does like to be nourished consistently and adequately with a variety of foods. So once we've taken away diet culture, we're able to expand your diet, make sure that you're eating regularly. And at this step, this is the second step of my program. We notice drastic improvements in gut health and your IBS symptoms because we have let go of stress. We have added in nourishment. And from there, if we continue to notice issues with your symptoms, we're able to target them and 
identify the root cause and come up with a solution going forward that does not have to do with rigid dieting. So if we do end up seeing that the low FODMAP diet is appropriate for you, there is a gentle FODMAP approach that we can take. And that includes identifying, you know, high FODMAP offenders, which might be, you know, some foods like garlic and onion, um, in different high fibrous foods that you may be eating regularly of. And what I've noticed is that instead of restricting everything up front, it's how do we add back foods into your diet that help offset the high FODMAP foods and really bring back that balance again. Yeah. So for example, if you're eating like, um, a kale salad or something that has a lot of fibrous foods in there, um, and that's all you you end up choosing, you know, that's how you want to fuel your body that in itself can be aggravating your symptoms. So how do we add back in those easily digestible carbohydrates like rice, rice noodles, delicious things that will also help to satisfy you, um, and improve your, your symptoms. I love that. So it's very like the adding perspective of like, what can we add? And then personalizing to you too, of like, not everything needs to be off, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and really having that perspective of like, I, it's it's just like more kind, like just more like nurturing. Um, And I'm imagining somebody listening to this who may have a lot of discomfort. And if you have digestive issues, like it is uncomfortable and living in discomfort Mm -hmm. is not pleasant, especially as humans, like we, we don't like discomfort and maybe asking like, how long does it typically take for symptoms to reduce? Like if we start doing this work, like, is this like months? Is it years? Like how long does it take for symptoms to get better? Yeah, I would say on average, people working with me find symptom relief within two weeks. Like that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And the first step that we take again, let this sink in is ditching diet culture. So mm-hmm. how much stress are you adding to your body, your mind and your gut by subscribing to diet culture? And how does that impact your symptoms? Mm-hmm. I love that so, so much. And it's so true, right? Like, and even the way that we digest and absorb foods, like if I'm super stressed about eating my sandwich versus if I'm a very calm state and like relaxed, like our body processes it differently. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we all are familiar with, you know, fight or flight and then the rest and digest. I always tell my clients, like, think your body's not thinking about, oh, I'm going to digest this delicious sandwich while I'm being chased for a bear. Like, no, I'm getting my body out of there and freaking out and trying to get to safety. And so we have to make that safe environment so that digestion is able to happen in a smooth way. Oh, I love that. Okay. Can we give tips? Like, how can we make like the environment safe? Like, do you have any, like, actionable tip, like someone who's like, okay, I want to make my like food environment a little bit more serene. What are things that we can do to kind of create that? Like, yeah, yeah. So for, you know, mindful eating is something that I do recommend for my clients and we do practice together. So oftentimes with people who struggle with IBS, you know, their main thoughts are if I eat this, then what's going to happen. I'm going to experience this symptom and they can't kind of have that disconnect. So um, we make a list of foods that they really enjoy. Think back to a time when, you know, maybe this wasn't as much of a struggle and we put that food that you feel safe with in front of you and um, you take time to look at it. Oh my gosh, this bowl of pho, Vietnamese like noodle soup, right? 
looks so comforting. It's so cold. I just want to be able to like have this and enjoy it, smell the different aromas, feel the warmth of the bowl, um, taste the noodles, taste maybe the meat and the vegetables in there as well. What flavors am I, am I experiencing? How, what textures am I experiencing in my mouth? And does that, does that feel really good to me? Um, wow, I haven't had noodles in so long. I forgot how satisfied I feel afterwards. So it's really taking a moment to be present with that meal. And of course, this is unrealistic for me to ask you to do this every single time you eat. It is something that you can practice and see how that impacts your digestive symptoms. And if you can take like one thing away from that and, and use it in your daily life, that might be helpful to slow down during a meal and make it more safe and enticing and exciting to enjoy your food again. Hey, 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 I'm just stopping this episode to tell you about the balance. So if you've been in my world for a while, you might, you might have heard me talk about the balance program. It is literally my heart and soul. It is the program, my signature program that I have created to help people heal their relationship with food and their body. If you're finding yourself restricting your calories, counting your macros, counting your freaking almonds for your snacks, weighing yourself, starting every day telling yourself that you're gonna be good this time, or, oh, you know, it's not really a diet, it's just like a lifestyle, and going to bed every night just like angry at yourself and maybe being really upset about your body, even maybe hating your body, this program is for you. Throughout the program, we go through a four-part system to help you heal your relationship with food and your body for good. I'm so excited about this program. I'm so excited about all the clients who've been in it who get to a place where food is just food. We learn to nourish ourselves outside of diet culture without any stress. Like, can you imagine not having stress around food, allowing food to just be food? And also knowing that you're actually taking care of yourself, that you're actually eating in a way that's super supportive without the shame of diet culture. Like how life-changing is that? right? We have one of our members in the program that just posted yesterday that she's now able to keep chips and ice cream in her house, which is something that for a decade, she would not allow her husband to bring into the house. Literally. She was saying that if it was in the house, it'd literally be gone. So they had a rule that it could not stay in the house. The only time that they bought it was if they were going somewhere else or it would not stay in the house. And they've now had it in the house for over a month and it's still there and she's not binging on it anymore because she has healed her relationship with food. How amazing, how amazing. Like I can't even, I can't even. So I'm really excited to share that with you. And I'm really excited to invite you to join the Balance Program as well. If you are ready to make this transformation, like if you're ready to let go of the guilt, the stress, all of the things, and just really focus on your relationship to food and body so you can live in a non-diety way for the rest of your life, like this is for you. Um, And I'll be really happy to connect with you. Like if you're feeling a pull to join, if you're feeling a pull like, man, like I wanna be that person with all the foods in my house and not, you know, fearing that I will binge, this is your call. So connect with me on Instagram at The Balanced Dietitian. Send me a DM. Just tell me like, hey, I've been listening to the podcast. Like, tell me about The Balanced Program and we'll talk about it to see if it's a good fit for you. And if not, we'll talk about what else could be a good fit. 
Um, and you can also go to the website at www.thebalancepractice.com forward slash program to get all of the information. All right, my friend, I hope that I get to work with you in the balance program. If you're feeling a pull, let's do this. Okay, let's get back to the episode. So let's switch a little bit and talk about the health exercise approach when we're thinking about different medical conditions. I know it can be really hard um, as a listener and even sometimes as like a health provider, you know, like you said at the beginning, like a lot of us are trained to be very weight centric and especially when it comes to medical conditions. So how, how do you work with clients with ideas from that like health at every size perspective and like really this like weight inclusivity framework? Yeah, absolutely. Well, one, I don't see the need for me to ever ask about body weight. Um, So that's not something that is on any of my intake forms. It's not something we really talk about because what does your physical weight have to do with improving your digestion? Nothing. Right. So we start there, right. Having a non-diet approach really includes like including health promoting behaviors that ultimately make you feel your best. And so when I say health promoting behaviors and the health at every size principles, you know, we're talking about making sure that you're getting adequate rest, making sure that you have access to food period. What is your cooking and like financial situation, right? I'm not going to make recommendations that don't fit within your abilities, Um, and just supporting your overall health. I think when it comes to health at every size, you're not just looking at one area of nutrition, um, to improve your health. It is that holistic approach of mental, physical, financial stability, um, that helps you make behavior changes that support your long-term health. A hundred percent. And I love that too. Um, when we think of this piece of like health exercise, just like letting the weight not be part of the conversation because it truly doesn't matter, but also like not, I know I like, you've probably had this experience too, of like some folks who live in larger body, like blame their Mm -hmm. bodies for symptoms, right. Blame their bodies for Mm -hmm. digestion or everything like that. So like kind of like removing a little bit of that, like that stigma around, like, it's not, you know, the, because of your body size or anything like that, like IBS or any other medical condition can happen at every size. So kind of like unpacking a lot of those stories that we're also being told about bodies and the like responsibility that we have about our bodies too. Absolutely. Absolutely. I meet my clients where they are. And of course, if they feel comfortable sharing information with me about how they feel in their body and want to talk about that, or even if they're in a place where, you know, intuitive eating health at every size is new to them and they are just, you know, approaching this with an open mind and do want to talk about how they feel in their body. It's a safe place to do so. And um, their concerns are going to be valid because they're going through that experience living in a larger body. You know, I come from a body that is thin. I have thin privilege. I do not experience the same microaggressions that people in larger bodies deal with on a daily basis. So it's important for me to just listen and learn about their experiences and see how we can, despite, you know, the information we've been brainwashed to believe about our bodies, um, 
and kind of help them move forward with taking care of themselves because um, you're less likely to take care of yourself um, if you continue to feel bad. Um, so if we do some of that unlearning and see that there is an opportunity for you to feel your best without focusing on some like toxic ideas, it can help propel you to take the action that needs to be taken to help you get symptom relief and feel your best. Yeah. I love that so much. And I know we're like getting off track, but this is like so important and so juicy, like this piece of like taking care of ourselves from a place of compassion and wanting to take care of ourselves when we're not used to that. Like I know personally, like I was like never taught this stuff, like wait, taking care of myself. Cause I, I like myself and I want to take care of me because we're so used to like that shame base of like, you do things because you're not enough to start with. Right. And I like, like, oh, you need to do more exercise because like you're out of shape or you need to eat this way because you typically don't eat well. Or like it's always coming from such like a shame based perspective that like even hearing you say that and even when we talk about this, like because you deserve it and because you get to take care of yourself. And when you come from a place of more positive and just more like neutrality, like it is easier to do it. It's just such a big shift, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Um, So do you have any tips um, to manage IBS symptoms through like the intuitive eating and that paradigm? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we talked about ditching diet culture, right? The first principle of intuitive eating. From there, we really learn that we're able to honor your hunger and talk about how nourishing your body consistently and adequately throughout the day is going to help your body feel like it's in that safe environment. And so that it can process and metabolize and digest foods in a more gentle way. So the second principle of intuitive eating is honoring your hunger. And so this Sometimes the work I do with people, it's the first time that they've ever taken a pause to really truly connect with their bodies. We live in such a fast paced world. Um, it's, it's like, oh, I just, you know, my lunch break is at 12, but I have meetings until two. So I'm just going to, I'll eat at three. Like if I have time, right. If you had paused to notice your hunger earlier on in the day, would you have been able to support your energy levels and feel better and not feel out of control around food the next time you ate? So learning, you know, hunger cues, subtle hunger cues, cues, you know, for people who have been disconnected from their body for a while. So recognizing that being dizzy, having headaches, um, having brain fog and poor concentration can also be a symptom of hunger. And knowing that you don't have to wait that long for it to, for you to act on that hunger. And you can say, okay, I'm going to start acting. I'm going to start um, with a little bit of structured meal timing so that my body can learn what it feels like to be hungry. And I can recognize when I'm initially getting hungry and I can act on it to support my metabolism and digestion. And from there, you know, once we recognize hunger, you're going to be able to recognize fullness and what that feels like to you. What is a comfortable fullness? And so we talk about the hunger and fullness levels and um, how to find a happy balance, because I think that, you know, there is that hunger and fullness scale, but it's going to feel different to different people. 
So really maintaining that flexibility and listening to your body instead of like rigid food rules or external food rules from diet culture. And then of course, I mean, along the lines of rejecting diet mentality and diet culture, it's like letting go of the food police. So allowing yourself that unconditional permission to enjoy food and not feel bad or guilty or assign moral value with doing X, Y, Z. So there's a lot of ways that I include the intuitive eating principles while managing IBS, because I, I truly, just like you were saying that bi-directional kind of relationship with gut health and relationship with food, it really does help to um, manage your symptoms. Yeah, a hundred percent. And thank you for sharing all of that. Like, I think it's such a like intuitive eating can be applied to so many different like areas in terms of nutrition. It's really cool to see how even with our digestive health, health, I think a lot of people have this idea of like how structured it needs to be. And a lot of it has to do with taking away, but trying to change that of like, it's not just about restricting, taking away, eliminating. It's like really that piece of like taking away the stress, but connecting to your body, understanding what you need and like all of these things. Like it's again, coming from a place that's just so, so nice so like freeing it doesn't feel like heavy and gross you know yeah absolutely and then one thing i didn't mention about intuitive eating it does touch on you know joyful movement moving in a way that you can appreciate your body for what it can do right and of course like when it comes to your digestion rigorous like high intensity exercise can actually um trigger some of that digestive discomfort. So healing your relationship with movement and exercise is also something that we talk about and how can we practice, um, moving your body that feels good. That does not include like overcompensation for maybe, you know, what you've eaten or just, you know, for feeling guilty about things. And, um, with movement, you know, I really encourage finding ways to like pause and connect with your body. And I think like deep breathing and yoga practices can really be beneficial to connecting to your body and allowing your nervous system to change from that fight or flight to rest and digest. Mm. Yeah. I was going to ask, like, what is it about like high intensity movements that can trigger like digestive issues? Yeah. Um, you know, exercise, if done at a, at a excessive amount or in a way that, um, your body sees as stress, Mm -hmm. um, it just ignites that stress response which then triggers your digestive symptoms. So you want to find a balance and you want to say, okay, yesterday I did weight training or I did like a a power boxing class or something. And yeah, like I had to run out because I had to use the restroom. What if tomorrow I practice like a more gentle form of movement, maybe walking or yoga or just stretch and kind of do some body weight movements and see how that impacts my symptoms. You know, I can say something make a recommendation, but you also have to kind of know that the work we do together is going to be kind of like a trial and error. You have to try things out to see what's going to work best for you. Yeah. I love that because everybody's different. Like there's no like one way that you'll be like, you have to do this and that. It's like, how does your body respond when like this happens? And it's cool because you become like your own expert. Well, you already are your own expert. Yes. So you start to trust yourself more at being your own expert. 
Amazing. And then last question for you, and um, this wasn't planned, but I saw it on your Instagram, so I wanted to talk about it because I think a lot of people can relate. Let's talk about these sensitivity tests. (laughs) So I know you're in the States and we're in Canada, but they are like super present now, right? People will go to do these tests to see what they're sensitive about. And then they come out with like this like brick of paper of all the foods that he cannot eat. So can we talk a little bit about like how legit slash not legit these are and Mm -hmm. maybe how they impact our relationship with food? Absolutely. I can't tell you how many clients I have that come to me. They're like, oh, I took this food sensitivity test and now I have to X out all of this list of foods. Right. And some people come to me after trying it and they report having even worse gas, bloating, diarrhea, constipation, and stomach pains, and even acid reflux. And what I see is that it really results in like malnutrition, more fear and anxiety around food. And you miss out on, you know, enjoying life and, and food is so much more than, you know, how we fuel our bodies is how we connect sometimes. And, um, that can be really isolating. So regarding food sensitivity testing, I'm just going to put this out there. In my opinion, it's a scam. Um, the <laughs> sensitivity testing is not an exact science. Like literally the research behind this is e- extremely lacking. They're using one very loose um, study on, I think, mice. Um And so the food sensitivity testing that um, is in the United States, at least, they use IgG antibodies to determine which foods you're sensitive to. However, IgG antibody response actually looks at the foods you commonly consume. So let's say I eat eggs every day, multiple times a day. Um, It's very likely that eggs will now be on the list of foods that you are sensitive to. So basically it's tracking all the foods that you've ate and then telling you, you can't eat those foods. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So we can see how that causes like so much stress, right? People come in, they're like, well, I can't eat all of my favorite foods. All I can eat are foods that I don't like. Yep. Yep. And that just adds more stress to your day. And, you know, thanks to the gut brain connection, that very sensitive vagus nerve, it just adds more to the symptoms that you experience because you're even more stressed and scared of eating. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, not the best I've had one done. So that was back when I was like at the beginning of the nutrition program and I had an eating disorder. So like my gut health was like, not great. Uh And I did a sensitivity test and I I've never seen it again, but it was this like weird fucking place in Ottawa. They're still open. It's anyways, whatever they um, use a metal rod to put on my finger. And then he would like, (laughs) like, this is so ridiculous. I can't even say it. He would like (laughs) test for like different foods and he would like name the food and then see how my body reacted with like having that like metal rod on my finger. And then I came out with this list of like all the foods and it was like, these foods are harmful to your body will create long-term damage. Like it was like super scary language too. And I was just like, Oh my God, like this is so fucked up now that I think of it. But back then I was like, this is legit. Like my body told (laughs) a lot of terrifying. That is terrifying. And for so many people who struggle with this, like IBS is a real condition. These symptoms that you experience are real. 
They're very difficult to manage on a day-to-day basis, especially if stress is like chronically present in your life. And for all of these, you know, wellness testing food sensitivity companies to prey on our insecurities and struggles is it's so wrong. Yeah. So, so wrong. And I know we talked a little bit about this before pressing record, but it's like when you feel like you're not getting support with your digestive help, right? Like if you're your doctor or whoever just gives you kind of a flyer and you're feeling like super confused and then you look for other help and you find these tests because you think that that's the solution, like hundred percent, we're in a vulnerable place. We have these tests that like really mean jack shit, but then you're like left with like even more stress. Like it's just like a whole. Yeah unpleasant situation. Definitely unpleasant. (laughs) Unpleasant. All right. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of this with us today. Like this was super cool, super useful. Can you tell us like if someone is hearing this and like want to work with you, want to learn more about you, like how do you work with people? How can people find you? Right. So you can find me on Instagram. I'm most active there. I am the, um, at antidiet.com. IBS dot dietitian. I'm going to think about that for a second. Um, I am currently working with people one-on-one in my 12 week IBS food freedom package. It is, you know, really an opportunity for you to find balance with food and relief from your uncomfortable gut symptoms. So, you know, diarrhea, gas, bloating, constipation, stomach pain, acid reflux. I'm your girl. Um, and so what we really do in this program, like I said, the first stage is ditching diet culture. The next one is determining your baseline gut health, offering you a holistic care plan. We not only talk about nutrition, we talk about hydration, bowel routine and habits, sleep hygiene, gentle movement, and stress management, and then finding relief, right? Identifying your food triggers or non-food triggers, and then celebrating food freedom so that you can expand your diet, continue to love your life and, and have fun with it around food. I love that so much. And is that open like worldwide or is that just in Texas? So that is open to people in the United States, but I'm currently working on a IBS food freedom course that can be purchased worldwide. Amazing. So folks yeah. in Canada, stay tuned. Stay, stay tuned, tuned. <laughs> stay tuned. Because, you know, putting the pressure on me to get it out there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, all right. So let's go into our fun questions before we end today. The first question is, what is your favorite food? Uh, pizza, 100%. Okay. And then follow-up question, pineapple on pizza, yay or nay? No. <laughs> <laughs> like this is not a thing. Um, all right. If you could have a superpower, what would it be? You know, I was thinking about this and it would be really cool to be able to breathe underwater like a mermaid. You're the first guest that says that. I love it. Yeah. Like being able to explore the underwater world. How cool is that? That would be super cool, but also like really scary. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What is your favorite way to self-care? Favorite way to self-care is like playing with my dog. I have a one and a half year old. So just like getting some really good cuddles, um, and then vegging out in front of the TV, to be honest, like I love to binge watch TV. So what's your favorite show right now? Um, right now, what is it? I go through a lot of seasons of shows. What have I been watching? Like anything, anything like great British bake off, 
baking show or um, even like uh, selling sunset, like anything. <laughs> I love that. I like secretly like love reality TV. I'm oh like, my gosh, yeah. like guilty pleasure. I'm like, I could like watch it for like eight hours straight. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And then last question for you, because this is a balanced dietitian podcast, what does balance mean to you? Yeah. Balance means, um, living my life without fear around food. It means enjoying what life has to offer. Um, living life in a gentle way. Right. I love all of those things. Like that's like picture perfect life of just living. Yeah. Yeah. I love that so much. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. This was such an awesome episode. Um, so everything will be in the show notes guys. So you guys can go follow her work with her. And thank you again for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Wasn't this episode just amazing? I feel like I say that every time I finish an episode, but they're always so amazing. Samino is such an amazing person, an amazing dietitian, and such a wealth of knowledge. Like this is so wonderful. So all of her information will be in the show note for you to go follow her. Um, again, so appreciative of her time and being here with us today. I'd love to know what you've learned about it. So tell us on Instagram, tell us what you liked about this episode, what you've learned. Again, I hope it was super helpful and I will catch you in the next episode next week.